All right. Hey, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 1 today as we talk about joy. Luke chapter 1. And if you've got the, one of the borrowed Bibles, thank you for grabbing that on your way in. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the foyer there on the right as you head out there. Black, uh, you can see them. Just saying that so you can know that that's what that black book is over there. Uh, grab one of those, take it home. We'd love for you to have the Word of God in your house and in your life. And so we're on page 908 if you've got one of those. Uh, otherwise, you're on your own, whether you're poking it on your phone or you're turning it in your physical Bible now. I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, so we're going to be in Luke 2. And once again, we are talking about joy. You know, um, when Stella, Stella, by the way, thank you for doing the Advent reading. But when Stella was doing the Advent reading, one of the things she said was that joy is not a feeling. Uh, joy is something that we feel, but it's not the same as a regular emotion. Uh, just like God's love is not the same as a regular emotion or feeling of love. It's a, it's a love of the will. It's a choice to love. And then it becomes your character to love in that way. Uh, joy is a very similar thing. It's actually a, a matter of you making a choice for joy uh, over all other things. And so it's a state of your soul that you can choose to live in a state of joy, which is pretty awesome. Just like most of you chose to live in the state of Washington, uh, you can also choose to live in the state of joy, uh, except this state, uh, you don't get to vote in and the benefits are better. So um, not, that's not, a, it's just better, right? It doesn't matter what state you live in in the states. Uh, joy is a better state. Hey, but before we get into the study of joy, uh, let's ask God to bless our study and to change us. Lord, thank you that you're here in our midst. I love that one of the things that Jesus being born demonstrates is that you are close you are near, and that you understand us more than we possibly understand you. Thank you for seeing us and knowing us, and thank you for seeking us before we could seek you. Father, we're coming together now to ask that you would bless our learning, bless our study, Lord. And let it not just be an academic pursuit, God, but a pursuit of our souls, seeking after the one who saves, seeking after the one who brings healing and hope. And so work in this time of study, Lord. Plant your truth. Renew our minds. Change us, Lord. We are open to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, we are talking about joy. You know, joy is often something that comes up as a topic in seasons where we should have the opposite of joy. Uh, in my study this week, I encountered a story of a man who was uh, dealing with cancer, and it was probably terminal, and he was hospitalized again in the midst of his treatment. And on the way in, one of his friends happened to look down at the chart at the end of the bed and in clear nurse handwriting, which is no small miracle. Maybe nurses write better than doctors, but I don't know. Nurses, you could tell me later. Uh, and, it, and it said, you know, Mr. X is experiencing uh, inappropriate and disproportionate joy to the state that he's in. And it was like a problematic diagnosis, right? Like the doctor, the nurse like, was like, maybe this guy's losing it, right? Like he seems to be okay, even though he's looking at death. And the friend chuckled because he knew, he knew why his friend had joy. And it was because he had Jesus in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pain and the difficulty so that his circumstances didn't change his outlook internally. But instead, he had this force inside of him that was pulling him indomitably towards the love and the goodness of God. And that's really what that state of joy is when we choose joy. It's something that fills us so that when the pressures of life come around, we're no longer pressed. We're not crushed. We're not even perplexed. We just say, Lord, this is your will. This is your desire. I'm in this place in life, and I know that you are with me. And so help me to see you, 
and help me to serve you in what I am dealing with. Now, you and I, we need that kind of thing inside of us, right? Like, you know, I hate talking about this at Christmas time, but you know that life is filled with challenges and with difficulties. And get, Christmas doesn't stop them, does it? Christmas doesn't change the circumstances. I remember the first death in my family that I remembered happened uh, like seven days before Christmas. My grandpa John died. Uh, and it was like, man, we're getting ready for Christmas, but now we're sad because grandpa John died. And I remember the feeling as a kid, like I have this weird anticipation for Christmas and this weird sadness that I'm not familiar with for the first time. And, and in that place, even as a kid, I found the, the strength of joy in the midst of that, the comfort that uh, when people die, they can go to heaven was a big deal to me when I was a kid, even though I didn't, I didn't have salvation. I knew that it was possible, I guess. Anyway, so we're going to talk about joy today, and I hope that you know joy and you find joy better by the end of this message. So the joy of Jesus fulfills and strengthens your soul. The joy of Jesus fulfills and strengthens your soul. Now, there exists, to be clear, joy outside of Jesus. I I don't think it's the same, though. Just like there exists love outside of Jesus, I don't think it's the same quality as the love that you can find in Christ. Uh, There's an author, and he writes about the joy of morality, When you have good morals, there's the state of joy that exists so that you know the things that are happening to you in life aren't happening because you're a bad person and that you have this commitment to doing the right thing no matter what. There's a strength, there's a joy that comes from that. But this joy exceeds your own morality. It's not something that's based on you. It's something that's based on someone else, which means that you have greater strength than you can have in yourself. The reason why I like that is because I know myself. And even though I'm committed to do what is good all the time, I know there are times where I'm tempted to not do what is good. And if I'm tempted to not do what is good, then I'm less joyful, right? And then when I make those momentary choices, like we all do, to maybe not do what is best or good in those situations, your joy decreases. Whereas with joy that's in Christ, the more you hold on to Christ, the greater your joy gets. And you can have inconceivable amounts of joy. So you'd be lying in that hospital bed and the nurses can be scratching their head. Why is this guy, this gal, so joyful in the midst of everything we're going through? The problem is we encounter barriers to that joy. There are things that come up in life and they seem to be robbing us of joy. Now, what we need to understand is it's not the stuff out here that's going to impact our joy as much as the stuff that's in here and in here. Because we all encounter various trials and tribulations. And yet at the same time, some of us handle those so well and others of us get beat up in the midst of it and some of us act like we're handling it really well but we're not inside we're really struggling i've known friends who are going through very similar seasons of life and one can deal with their problems with joy and the other one can just get beat down and depressed and the difference between those two groups consistently whether they know christ or not is the ones that look to god and trust in him in the midst of their trials always have more joy than the ones who are just hoping to get through and find a solution somehow. They may find joy eventually, but they don't have as much as this group in my experience. And so you need to overcome the barriers of joy to experience the strength and satisfaction that God desires for you to have in your life. And so today, I'd like to talk to you about overcoming those barriers, and I'd like to show you how they exist, not just in psychology, right? When we're talking about our heads and our hearts, it's not just psychological, it's spiritual, but in God's truth. And so let's look at a piece of the story of Jesus' birth and see if we can understand how we can overcome the barriers of joy. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, 
where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. Blessed is he who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. Jesus came to bring joy. Isn't that cool? And we see in this story, Mary, who has just found out that she's pregnant, she's going to conceive a child, but not by being with a human father, but because the creative power of the Holy Spirit is going to rest and descend on her and cause a child to come about in her womb. So we tend to think about conception in natural terms. You can rewind back to fifth grade, whether that was five weeks ago or five decades ago. And you can remember that slide where there's like the spaceship and then the, the, the planet and the spaceship coming together. That's what it was in my mind in fifth grade, right? And, and the reproductive cells meeting on that slide reel. Uh, we tend to think of it like that, but that's not how Jesus came about. Jesus was conceived supernaturally. There was a life planted in Mary's womb, not of Mary, not of Joseph, only of God the Father, right? And so she heard this news, and then her whole life changed. Can you imagine being 13, 14, 15 years old and being pregnant right now? And we have all sorts of things in our society to make that work out okay if you choose to keep your child. And and if this happens to you or one of your relatives, I hope you do choose to keep the child or they choose to keep the child, but there's resources available and yet life is going to take a fantastic turn at that point in time. Well, it wasn't even remotely socially acceptable for Mary to be conceiving a child before she was married to Joseph. It wasn't even remotely conceivable for Mary to have done the things that would be required to have a child at her her age at that point in time. In fact, the Old Testament is really clear. This is called adultery, and the consequence, according to Jewish law, for adultery is death. There's harsh judgment for sin in the Old Testament law. And yet Mary receives this news and she thanks and praises God initially. She has to tell her parents. She has to tell Joseph. Can you imagine how that would go? Do you remember how hard it was to ask to be able to go to the dance? Can you imagine having to tell your mom and dad that you're going to have God's son? You're at dinner that night. Having some nice lamb. Oh, by the way, mom and dad, I love you both. I'm pregnant. What? 
You're pregnant? Joseph, that rascal. I knew when he looked at you the first time we couldn't trust him. It's not Joe, Mom and Dad. It's God. It's his baby. Great. Now we need a lawyer and a shrink, right? Like, our daughter thinks she's pregnant by God? Like, this is wild. Eventually, she must have convinced them, and then she has to convince Joseph. We all know how that went, right? Joseph walks away from the conversation, and he's thinking, boy, what a mess. Guess I'll just have to find a new future, Mrs. Joseph of Nazareth, right? And the Lord intervenes. Mary makes it through. I don't know why Mary went to live with Elizabeth for three months in the countryside. I can imagine that being in your hometown and having a baby bump when everybody knows that you shouldn't isn't an easy thing. I have a feeling that Mary left just when her baby was starting to make a big impression on other people. I don't know for sure, but we don't get those details of the story. But people do things for a reason. She left living with mom and dad to go live with her cousin Elizabeth. And that's when we meet her in this story. Mary is carrying the joy of the world. But she's also carrying a lot of stress and anxiety and difficulty. You all meet any first-time moms? It's their first pregnancy. How's that going for them? They're excited, right? But there's also nervousness. Ever meet any expecting first-time dads? Yeah, we don't know what's happening, do we? (laughs) But at the same time, we're carrying that same anxiety and anticipation. So Mary's carrying the joy of the world, but she's also carrying her very human emotions. And she gets to Elizabeth's house, and what happens? Boy, what a welcome. How gracious that must have been. I mean, Mary is arriving at her relative's house, and she doesn't just receive a, we're glad you're here. She receives, like, this huge news. Oh, my word, Mary, the baby inside of me just leapt for joy, and I am rejoicing because you are here. How is it that the mother of my Savior would come and live with me? How blessed am I that Jesus is right here in my house, that I get to have a part in his story? And Elizabeth is rejoicing. And then Mary rejoices. Sometimes this thing that she just let out of her mouth is called the Magnificat. And it's a, it's a poem. It's a, it's a song. It's a rap almost, right? I mean, Mary just puts to words quickly what's happening. But it's not, oh Lord, it's been so hard. It's how amazing is God How faithful is he? How merciful is he? How awesome is he? He's making the world right. Those who think they're powerful in control, those who think they're satisfied in the world, they will be emptied and hungry. And those who seek God will find salvation and mercy and grace. What an awesome thing my God is doing. He's fixing the world through this son that is in my womb. Mary encounters a barrier to joy, anxiety. That had to be stressful. That had to be difficult. There's a couple of pictures of anxiety in the Bible. The most common is the picture of a shattered mirror. When you look at a mirror and it's not shattered, what do you see? Yourself. One image, right? But if you're to take that mirror and you're to shatter it and then look at your reflection, what do you see? Many cells, right? Some of them are cracked up. Some of them are small. Some of them are just bits and pieces. It's like the image of you gets broken up into a thousand little bits and every one of them contains a part of you, but not the whole you. And when your mind is anxious, when your heart is fearful, 
and you experience this kind of anxiety, a little bit of your mind, a little bit of your heart ends up spread out all over the place. You're worried about your hangnail. You're worried about hanging out with your friends on Tuesday. You're worried about what you're going to buy for Christmas, what you're going to get for Christmas, what you're going to serve for Christmas. Is your house going to look nice for Christmas? You're worried about the phone call with the kid. You're hoping that the one kid who hasn't talked to you in almost a year is going to call you at all, right? Your mind gets shattered and spread all over the place because you're dealing with anxiety. The other picture of anxiety is this concern over the things of life. The Bible says that when you have this concern over the things of life, it's like there are weeds choking out the actual life in your life. So it's like being strangled so you can't be fruitful, so that life isn't abundant because these concerns over the world and how your life is going to work, it's choking you out like it would a young plant. But Mary knows the solution to this anxiety. Mary overcomes anxiety by trusting that God is in control and praising him in the midst of problems. And so we overcome anxiety and again find joy as we place our trust in Jesus and praise him even in the midst of our problems. It's an important thing for us to recognize. It's something that the Bible testifies about over and over again. In the Psalms, David says, my life is filled with trouble. Where's my help going to come from? Lord, save me because I'm drowning in waters that are already up to my neck and I can't swim. It's like I'm stuck in the mud and I can't move. But God, you are my salvation and I will praise you and thank you. Lord, you're where my help comes from and I will rejoice in you and I will praise you. And so David finds joy. He even testifies, Lord, you are my portion and my joy. It's not if things in life are right that gives me joy. It's when I can draw near to you that I can find joy. Habakkuk leads to that, right? He says, man, I look out and my fields are barren. I look for my goats and my sheep to give me milk and meat, and I have none. Or they're too skinny to produce anything. Even the fig tree, which gives me fruit automatically, has no bud and no fruit. Even though my cupboards are empty, even though my future is insecure, still I will rejoice in God. Still I will praise Him. Because it's not my problems that are going to control me. It's my God who's in control of my life. And I trust Him in the midst of everything that I go through. And so we want to trust God. And beyond that, we want to praise him in the midst of our problems. Now, there's some debate I've heard pastors say, you should give thanks for everything that happens to you. Man, if you can do that, God bless you. You're probably a more mature person than I am. Usually, I have to resort to giving thanks and praise to God in the midst of everything I go through. And I find some things are distasteful, right? Like some of you, you never grew to like pickles, Pickles show up on your plate and you're looking for your friend who wants to eat those, right? You're like, no, thank you. There are times that life serves you pickles, right? But you can still praise God even if all you have to eat is pickles. You could say, Lord, you're still good. My plate's piled high with old vinegary cucumbers, but you are still sweet to me and your presence is good. My nose is filled with dill and clove, but my heart is filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, right? So you can thank God no matter what comes your way because he is still good. And what's amazing is as you do that, that nurtures and strengthens the inner you. Your soul is the one that needs strength. 
Often, we rely on our bodies, our minds, and our hearts to fuel us. The problem is, is that's a disordered self. The most important and the most powerful part of your being is your soul. It's who you are. You are a soul and you have a body. You are a soul and you have a mind. You are a soul and you have a will. And when you learn to nourish your soul first, then you have strength when everything else is failing. And sadly, we know that our bodies and our minds will and do fail us. But praise the Lord, we can still have joy in the midst of everything that we go through when we trust in God, when we praise God. And there's another barrier to joy, and that's, that's bitterness. There's bitterness. Have you ever gotten news in your life and instantly there's just this sourness to you? There's this dourness and you want to have a pity party? Any of you good at, I'm good at throwing myself a pity party. Are you good at throwing yourself a pity party? You invite your friends, you invite your neighbor, oh, I'm sad, a bad thing's happened to me. Well, when we have those moments, it's tempting to become bitter to become dissatisfied, to start grumbling and complaining, to start attacking people, to start attacking situations, to want to give up. When we're feeling bitter, it's very tempting to make other people little by despising them, by hating them, by putting them out of our lives, by being bitter to God and despising him, which means to make him small. Lord, why did you give me this? That's what Adam did in the garden, right? Adam, what have you done? It wasn't me, it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> My problems are big because you're not good enough. That's a voice of bitterness. It's a voice of despising. Because what happens to Joseph, right? My betrothed is pregnant. We tend to think of that as engagement, but it was so much more than engagement. When you were betrothed, it was like the marriage had already happened. It hadn't just been celebrated and consummated yet. And so in one way, their family was already started. They were just preparing. They were just getting ready for the moment that they said, I do again in front of everyone and came together as a family. And so there wasn't premarital counseling in the same way. There wasn't a chance to break it off. This was done. It was already permanent. It's as if God already started to fuse Joseph and Mary together in everyone's mind. And so when Mary shows up pregnant, it's not just that she's stepping away from the engagement. It's that she's breaking her marriage vows already. It's that she's stepped out on her spouse. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have that conversation? To have this gut feeling that my spouse is pregnant with another person's child? I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. If you're a man, can you imagine your wife having this conversation with you? If you're a woman, can you imagine your husband having that conversation with you? Hey, we're going to have a baby. What? I'm not pregnant. Yeah. So I, um, remember the business trip that you didn't want me to go on? Hmm, yeah. Um, I don't know what happened, but I have a baby now. You know what happened? You know what's going on. Can you imagine how angry you would feel inside at that point in time? What you had to cope with? It's as if Joseph was righteous. He had goodness in his heart. And so he was just going to quietly separate from Mary. But then the Lord sent an angel who came to Joseph in a dream and said this baby is actually the Lord's. Mary is telling the truth. Joseph received grace, good news from God, and he gave grace to Mary. Overcome bitterness 
by getting and giving grace so that you can experience joy. Who is it that's hurt you in your life? Who is it that's on your naughty list? Who are you going to send that card to that you don't want to? Or who did you stop sending that card to years ago that every year they come up on the address list still? Who is it that you can't forget no matter how hard you try? God wants you to give them grace. God wants you to forgive them. It's not necessarily for their benefit, although it might benefit them. I don't know how close you are to them. But grace actually frees us from the pain. See, most of the time when we're living with hurt from somebody else, they've forgotten about it a long time ago. They're not thinking of you. They're at the mall eating a Cinnabon Tuesday morning, and you're looking in the mirror wondering if your eyes are still puffy from that little cry that you just had on the way to work. The bitterness isn't hurting them. It's hurting you. God wants you to receive his grace. Remember that you have been forgiven in Christ. That Jesus came to give you forgiveness and new life. And then he wants you to apply that to them. In Colossians, Paul writes, forgive as you have been forgiven. If you have put your faith in Jesus, how forgiven are you? Massively forgiven. When you show up to God's heavenly throne room and you entreat the Lord to bless your life and to listen to you, is there some holy crier that unrolls the scroll of your sin and says, <clears throat> before you begin, sir or madam, I just want to read the list of things that you've done wrong this week. Not at all. You're already forgiven. You enter with grace. God is welcoming you. He has favor on you. He loves to hear from you. He sent his son to save you. He's not going to withhold some other blessing from you now. He sees you with righteousness. There's peace between you and him. This is the forgiveness, the grace that God wants us to walk around with. And what's crazy is it actually frees us. See, bitterness gets in the way of our joy. God gets small. Our problems get big. God gets small. The enemy gets big that's in our heart. But if we can apply grace to those people, it makes them the right size. It changes our perspective and our priorities. And we can again rejoice in God because he is greater. You know, honestly, I think that we struggle with this because our lives are so comfortable for most of us. So when we encounter pain, when somebody else hurts us or does something that bothers us, it seems like such a big deal that we can't possibly let it go. I mean, it's massive. You remember your first paper cut as a kid? Mine was in kindergarten. I thought I was going to die. That thing stung so much there was blood on my finger, and all I was trying to do was hand a book to the teacher. The book bit me. Then I was going to have to go to the nurse. She was going to put that stinky, stingy green soap on it. Tell me I had to rub it, and I was going to cry more. What a terrible day. Remember the last paper cut that you got? It was nothing. It was nothing. You know why? Because you learned that that pain doesn't have to mean the end of life and the end of joy. You know, this actually is a neurological phenomenon that God knew about before neurologists were even on the planet. See, when you go through hardship and trials, there are these neural connections in your brain that fill up with chemicals that tell you you're in pain. Okay, so psychological pain and physical pain are incredibly similar. And they become like L.A. traffic at that point in time. 
Nobody's going anywhere because there's pain in your brain and it needs to be dealt with right now. You have an emotional backup to this issue and they get swollen. But then, as you choose joy, as you choose to forgive, as you choose to lend grace, as you turn your heart and your face to God, what happens is your brain switches the chemicals. It figures out how to clean out the neural pathway. And the thing that was swollen and blocked all of a sudden goes to the right size. And you feel emotional relief. All you did was forgive. You didn't fix the problem. You didn't change the person. You didn't even make yourself safer, sadly. All you did was choose healing instead of pain and you know what's crazy is as you would do this you become more and more able to endure hardship with joyful endurance isn't that what god's word says james says consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations or temptations tests in your life why because we know that those trials are going to produce endurance and that endurance is going to produce in you joy god knew in advance because he knew how your brain works that as you endure hardship and trial and you apply grace and you choose joy that you become stronger and stronger and you experience more and more fulfillment no matter what life throws at you isn't that amazing have you seen that work in somebody else's life? Remember when I first came here, I met this sister in Christ. She was small in stature, but you could tell she had great strength. She spent so much time serving and loving other people. She always had a word of encouragement. In fact, often she was handing people notes of encouragements, little gifts to just say, I love you, and I was thinking about you, and so was the Lord. I would show up at community events, and she would already be there, usually helping put them on. Her name was known inside and outside the church as a person of love and goodness and joy. And I thought, this is amazing. And then I started to get to know this person, and I expected their life to just be perfect. Far from it. She was a widow. She lost the love of her life. It didn't weigh her down anymore. She knew where her husband was. Her children were struggling one of them had been in and out of mental institutions many times. Several of them had difficulties getting along with each other or their spouses. Grandchildren's lives weren't perfect. She had significant health issues. Her diet was incredibly restricted. She often didn't feel good digestively and lacked the physical strength to do the things that she desired to do. She was constantly tired and constantly aching. How? How did she overcome all of that? How did she have strength to bless and love others so much? I mean, most people, when life is like that, they just diminish. They just decrease over time. And they moan, and they cry, and they become bitter. But not my sister, not this saint. She chose to apply grace to the people that had hurt her. And beyond that, she took it a step further. She learned to trust in Jesus' mercy and Jesus' justice. See, when we forgive people, it's not that we're just saying, God, would you give them a get-out-of-jail-free card? I mean, they wrecked my career. They ruined my heart. 
They hurt me or somebody I love. They're a terrible human being. But would you just forget about that? No, instead you're saying, Jesus, I see what you did for me on the cross. And I believe that's big enough, not just for me, but for them. And also, Jesus, I trust you. I trust your mercy. I trust your just justice. The Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's. The Bible says that he is the king of justice and he is the king of mercy. And what's amazing is God is patient and he's going to work on that person's heart just like he was working on yours before you believed in him or even afterwards and you made mistakes. And so we can forgive and we can also say, Lord, would you just deal with so-and-so according to your justice and your mercy? I don't see them and know them how you do. And so I'm just going to give them into your hands because your plans and your desires are much better than mine. And so, Lord, they are yours. They're not mine. And then you experience a new kind of joy because you know that God is going to work it out for what is best and what is right. Remember when you were a kid and you had the privilege of tattling? Did your parents let you tattle? Then tattling is like a holy right that children have. Do you know why? It frees them from having to solve all the problems on their own. There are some times your kids need to tattle. They can't handle it all. Sometimes we, as God's kids, we need to tattle. Lord, do you know what that cashier did? She dropped my eggs. I was in a hurry. Usually you have problems that are more significant than broken eggs, at least in the moment, but often decades later we're realizing that they're about the same. We can trust people. We can trust the circumstances that we're in to God's justice and God's mercy. And when we do, we experience an increase of joy. The next barrier to joy is confusion. Confusion is often a barrier to joy. You've got the wise men in this story. They come from afar. We don't know from where. We think maybe Iran. The best guess is that these are people who learn from Daniel about Yahweh, this great and powerful God. You can read about Daniel in the Old Testament, but God has shown his sovereign over the nations. And they have been watching the stars, waiting for the king of all to be born on earth. And they come with this huge entourage. They've been journeying from afar, probably days and weeks, and they're going to find the king in Israel. So they go to Jerusalem, but there's no king there. There's no joyous celebration at that moment. They go to the palace and they say, where's the king? And everybody takes them to Herod. Now, if you know much about Herod, are you really excited to meet Herod? No. Dude is bad news, right? Like, he makes Tony Soprano look like Bambi. Like he's just, he's a t he murders his siblings. He actually has his own wife killed. The day that he died, he arranged for thousands of Jews in Jerusalem to be arrested and killed so that Jerusalem would mourn his death. Well, theirs, but he wanted them to be sad when he died. I mean, what kind of a terrible human being is this? You think they knew who he was? Absolutely. It wasn't fun to meet a guy like this. And they show up and they're saying, hey, we're waiting to meet the newborn king. Which, by the way, if you're a king and you're going to have a son, he's going to take your throne. You think that's a really good thing, right? Like we all know succession planning is healthy, but not so much in Herod's kingdom. You really had to watch out if you were Herod's sons or daughters for that matter. And so they ask about where this king is. Herod doesn't know. There's no new king. I'm the guy. I'm the king. You should be here to see me. Why are you here to see a kid? I'm the king. Herod invites the scholars in. 
there's some sort of a king that's supposed to be born around here. Scholars are like, Bethlehem of Judea. It says that the, the coming son, the king, will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And then Herod, lying through his teeth, says, all right, my best scholars have found out that this new king is in Bethlehem of Judea. And if, guess what? If you could find him and then come back and tell me, I also, I want to go worship him too. Terrible lies. Massive untruth. God tells the wise men this in a dream. They find Jesus in Bethlehem. Their confusion is gone. And they rejoice. And they give great gifts to the king. As you seek God in confusion, you often find joy. Overcome confusion by seeking Christ and following his light one step at a time. There was a star that was guiding him. There was just a truth. The king is out there. I'm going to find the king. Are you there today? Are you seeking Jesus honestly? You know, I often meet people who say, I want to know Jesus, but religion confuses them and church confuses them. And their background growing up and, and, and being told that God is a myth, God is a lie, confuses them. But man, the ones who really seek, the ones who really are honest intellectually, are unraveling the mystery of God, they find joy because they find Jesus. Are you like the wise men today? Are you seeking God? Do you want to know him? Keep seeking him. Keep listening. I would love for you to know Jesus today, but it takes time. I remember I thought that I was getting to know Jesus in January, the year that I got saved. I actually thought I was following him, but it wasn't until early September that I actually put my faith in Jesus. Ten months of seeking. It takes some people longer. Amazingly, God is gracious and patient with your seeking. Keep seeking Jesus. Keep showing up. Keep asking questions. Keep learning. And stay honest with yourself and the people who are walking with you as you seek because you will eventually find Jesus. And you will have great joy. I can promise you that. But you know, sometimes life also brings confusion. Sometimes life brings challenging challenging things. Our, our plans fail. People let us down. Life takes a sudden and violent turn in a direction that we didn't expect or understand now, and we can find ourselves confused. I've definitely had moments in my faith where I'm like, Lord, this is not how I expected it to be. You said do X, I did X, and now we're in this place, and I want to know why. Because it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't feel right and it hurts, and I'm angry, and I'm confused. And in those times, rather than backing up and getting away from God, rather than falling into the darkness, we need to press into Jesus. We need to seek him. We need to go towards the light of his grace. We need to say, Lord, would you be present in me with this? Because this is your plan, not mine. This is your life, not mine. And so I want to walk with you. And as you do that, you know what you're going to find? Joy. Not because everything is perfect, but because you have a perfect Savior who has a perfect plan and is going to be working these things out. That saves you from so much trouble. That saves you from so much difficulty because you don't fall into condemnation and judgment of others. You don't fall into despair and doubt and bitterness. Instead, you just stand firm in Christ. And you have so much to celebrate in Him 
You know, the first time I went to South America and I met real poor people, I mean like real poor people, and then I met real poor people who knew Jesus, I was like, why are these people so happy? They live in a closet that leaks without real windows. They cook outside. They go to the bathroom in a latrine. They don't have a shower or hot water. They don't have a functional car. They don't have an IRA or a plan for the future. They have nothing comfortable in life. But they're just so stinking joyful. What's the deal with that? It was because they knew where real joy was. They weren't tempted to think that joy was found in life working out right. That joy is found when your favorite chair is available to you. That joy is found when your favorite pooch comes and puts their head lovingly on your leg. Or your favorite kitty curls up on your tummy at the end of the day. They know that joy isn't found when the Budweiser gets home and the first one gets cracked open. They know that joy isn't found in having the best job with the best paycheck. They know that joy isn't found when their favorite political candidate wins because they know they're all crooks. They are down there, okay? They are, there's massive corruption in South America. They, trying to keep myself out of the weeds, right? Okay, yeah, Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. They know where the joy is. And so they always count the things that they have in Christ as most important. They count their eternal life as the biggest blessing that they've ever found knowing that there's a place being prepared for them in heaven they count it amazing that when they wake up in the morning and they say lord thank you for the day the lord knows their name he's counting their breaths he's measuring their life he's preparing blessings and they know this and they count on it more than anything else and so they worry about where jesus is and what jesus is doing instead of about where they are and what they're not getting they're not confused about the priorities in life. Their perspective is right. And they know that God is bigger than their problems and their confusions. And so they find joy. The joy of Jesus fulfills and strengthens your soul. Do you have the joy of Jesus? Or do you have anxiety and fear? Would you give that fear and anxiety up to the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm going to praise you in spite of this problem that I'm facing. Do you have the joy of Jesus or do you have bitterness and hurt because someone or something has wrecked your life in some way? You need to forgive and give grace and trust in Jesus' justice and Jesus' mercy. Do you have joy or do you have confusion? Is life murky and unclear? Maybe you need to say, Lord, would you show me the light of your grace? And you need to seek Jesus so that you can find joy even in the midst of life that isn't working out the way that you want it to. Jesus came that you might have joy so that you can have strength and fullness in your soul. Would you take down the barriers to that joy today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. I love this time of year. I love the stories and the songs, but I I love them because I love you. Because in this story, I see the story of a God who loves so much that he wouldn't settle for less than his best for us. And so he sent his son on a rescue mission so that the one who is Savior would be named Savior, so that the one who is Savior would come and show us what life is 
and show us how to have life and then give life to us through our belief. Lord, would you strengthen us in Jesus? Would you strengthen our faith in him so that we might have joy? Help us to overcome our anxiety and our fear just by choosing to praise you instead of by worrying. Would you help us to overcome our bitterness and our burdens by forgiving, by trusting in your grace and applying your grace to the situations that we're in in life? Would you help us to overcome confusion by seeking your truth, by loving your presence more than we love our own plans? Lord, increase our joy. Strengthen us and satisfy us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.